0: We can't be contained because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code podcast 24.
1: Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
2: The Cut. The Cut. The Cut. The cut. Cut. The Cut. The Cut. The day after my Grams died, a friend sent me a copy of Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking, which I guess was meant to be this handy-dandy Bible for my sadness, which is totally thoughtful, don't get me wrong, but it was doubling down on sadness that I wasn't ready to feel in the first place. So now, Joan Didion's memoir about losing her husband and her daughter has been sitting on the edge of my kitchen table. Unread. And aside from avoiding people's questions and watching loads of television. I don't know if even now, after four months, I am equipped with the proper tools to handle loss. That's something author and journalist Kat Chow is also working on.
3: I never understood death. You know, like my family never talked about grief Mm -hmm. in a way, but I think I've always had this sense that loss has always been a big part of my family. Kat
2: finally confronts the grief that is woven through her family and then kind of rewinds it back, bringing the life back in. It's almost like trying
3: to articulate a dream, Mm -hmm. (laughs) something sort of very amorphous that you've had. And that's how I feel about trying to describe my family's loss.
2: Kat spent months writing her memoir about a personal grief, all while a global grief surrounded her. It was the summer of 2020, and outside her DC window, the death toll from the pandemic continued to rise.
3: I had no idea what quote-unquote normal society would look like when this pandemic ended,
2: you know, or does it ever end? She noticed that grief was washing over everything, That that grief was never getting addressed on this concept
3: of Sigmund Freud's, um, where he makes this distinction between mourning and melancholia. In 1917, Freud wrote this essay, and he defined mourning as an end in sight, where you know a person who is mourning um, has a grief that is attached to you know a specific person or maybe an object, but. Melancholia is this ongoing state. It's this amorphous thing that is almost pathological, where if you're melancholic, you know you have lost something, but you don't really know what. And I kept thinking about this when we were going through lockdown last year. And I think it's this kind of anxiety that I've internalized, where you don't know what the future will hold. You don't even know what your loss is going to be, but you know that it's there. Cat was able to recognize this
2: barely subterranean grief, this prolonged melancholy in the rest of the world, because she grew up seeing it in her family.
3: Both my parents are immigrants from Hong Kong and Guangzhou and um, China. And like so many other immigrants, they came to the U.S. for education or for other reasons to be closer to family. And the things that they gave up were just, I never understood that. And that was also what you know anchored this book to a degree to just wanting to understand how my family experienced loss on so many levels whether it was loss of country loss of person loss of money or yeah. you know loss of class or status or anything related to that i also knew that i was just going to learn some stuff i was going to learn a lot of shit about my family <laughs> that i had no idea about and that that was probably going to upend many many preconceived notions that I had about my dad, my mom, my sisters,
2: my uncle, my aunt. Kat interviewed her family about old stories and grievances, questions that she'd always had, relationships that she wanted to improve, especially with her father. Do you feel like you've cracked the code of your dad?
3: (laughs) Do I feel like I've cracked the code of my dad? Sometimes you have people in your life who will never want to give up parts of themselves, and that's okay. You know, maybe they don't know the answer or maybe they just don't want to share it with you. So many times over where I'm like, do you do you miss mommy or what do you think about her? And he'd say something like, she's been dead for X amount of years. <laughs> and as a kid, I'd be like, oh, my God. But how do you feel? Like, what are your feelings? And I learned, you know, on a personal level to glean meaning from the lack of response there's so much to be said in silence.
2: Kat's personal relationship with loss began with her mother, Florence.
3: I was really afraid of losing my parents and her in particular. I mean, I think that's such a natural thing for little kids to fear their parents dying. When I was, you know, just a kid, I remember this one afternoon sitting on my family room couch with my mom and we were watching tv and she was cracking sunflower seeds with her teeth and she turned to me and she said when i die i want you to get me stuffed so that i can always sit in your apartment and watch over you (laughs) and when she told me this like she thought it was so funny and i think i just i didn't know how to react it was obviously really frightening um and she she just thought it was the funniest thing ever and Thinking back on that moment, it was so hopeful in her eyes because, you know, there's the assumption within that that uh, she lives long enough for me to make it to adulthood and to
2: have my own apartment. Then it happened. When she was 13, Kat lost her mother to cancer and her father was left to raise her and her two older sisters. When was the moment when you were a kid that you realized that your parents were people? Because kids never do that. Oh, like you Like, I've never, like, I always use my parents as, um, like, mechanisms for survival. <laughs> not, not, like, flesh and blood <laughs> with thoughts and dreams and stuff.
3: Yeah. I know that that occurred when my mom died, where my father, you know, for much of my life as a child, always seemed to be someone sort of on the background. Um, you know, he... He was present in our lives, my sisters and my lives. But my mom, she definitely was the primary caretaker who was so hyper vigilant about making sure that we were doing all the things that she thought we should do to be successful. And my dad, I just, I remember distinctly thinking as a child that, you know, he was older than dinosaurs, and he was also the smartest man in the world. And that's how I saw him, you know, from probably, like, ever since I could think thoughts to, I don't know, I was 10 or 11 or so. And then when my mom died and it was just me and him, I understood, oh, wow, this is a person, a man whose life has been dramatically abended by the death of someone he loved. And I think that's when I understood you know, this is someone who is a person. And I didn't quite understand the nuances of what composed or made made up this person, but I understood that this was someone who was also experiencing a lot of friction in his life. But for my mom, yeah, I don't know. I'd love to say that it was earlier because she, you know, was such a big part of... My life and she was just so vivacious and mischievous and had this incredible sense of humor that could be quite cruel but also wickedly funny. I think what I've been trying to do with this book is render her as a real person.
2: In seeing Ghost, Kat grabs a hold of her loss by trying to really understand who it is she lost because Kat was so young when her mother passed away. She never got to know her the way adults can know their moms. You know, when there's this illusion of being equals. So Kat traces her mother's memories by sorting through old records, receipts, and documents. Trying to piece together an image of what it was like to first come to America and go to college, meet her husband, and raise three girls.
3: Trying to figure out where where your memories start to shift And in a way, how grief and how loss and a specific person in memory kind of, they grow with you. They don't just become this flat thing, you know. They evolve and your relationship to them changes.
2: Kat found that adding new context to old memories of her mom and trying to make a coherent picture of her grief was tricky.
3: And so my mother, who I think... When I was a child, of course I loved her. And, you know, we also had a hard relationship where she had so many expectations and also so much resentment, I think, for um, my sisters and me for how much she just gave to us. And I, as a kid, didn't even know where to begin processing all of that. But as an adult, getting to hear her history and sifting through all of these documents, um, her, you know, checkbook records, her her, you know, the receipts for the baby grand piano that she bought one year because she just wanted a status, you know, something, something to show status even though we couldn't afford it. And it, it definitely drove our family into debt. All of these little pieces helped me assemble a more clear image of her,
2: as imperfect as that is. There's only so much of a life that can be reconstructed from its pieces. So Kat turned towards imagination. Throughout the book, Kat has moments where she writes directly to her mother, asking her questions and trying to put herself in her mother's shoes. I address my mother as you.
3: And I wanted to do that because I understood that as an adult, I can't speak to her directly, but I have so many questions I want to ask of her. So many questions that I could ask, for example, my father, but not ask my mother because she's no longer with us. And I loved this idea of being in conversation with her to show the longing. Because I think when you address someone who is not there, it's such an intimate act, right? I wanted to show this arc of memories that are told in mostly past tense until the last, you know, section of the book that is back to present tense to sort of swing the reader into this different mindset of Oh this is this is someone who is now also internalizing this loss differently and to hopefully signal not that the grief or loss is over or lesser but it is there's a different orientation to it.
2: One part of that accumulating image of her mom that has always been clear is another older loss. It's a loss that shaped cat's mother and in turn shaped cat as well.
3: Before I was even born my mother had and my dad had lost their only son, Jonathan, who would have been two years older than me, and he it was basically his death I felt as a child was the only reason why I was born why my parents decided to have me, the third kid, because they had this hole that they had to fill as a child i I understood this, or you know I, I knew and i'd hear them talk about Jonathan we'd go to his grave in the cemetery um you know for Chinese New Year or other holidays, we would um, burn incense for all of our dead ancestors, including Jonathan. And my parents would, you know, they they wouldn't pray exactly, but they would kind of speak to him in in Cantonese and, and wish him well. And so I think I always had as a child, this sense of like, what space am I inhabiting? Who am I and why am I here? And then also just watching my parents in a way, demonstrate this very restrained grief for their parents Um, or other, you know, ancestors or people they'd lost many, many years ago, it reminded me that, you know, it was always kind of present.
2: After the break, the words, the rituals, you still need them.
0: Support for this show comes from Nine West. Because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.
1: Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
2: While reading the book, it was the first time since the passing of my dad and my grandmother that I viewed them as ancestors. Mm. Because I think you like there's this moment where you're looking at a picture of your mom and it's, it's a bit of an aside, but you're like now an ancestor. When did you feel like you made that distinction? I think
3: it took adulthood. It took adulthood for me to my mid-20s when I am. Um, It took until my mid-twenties to see my mom as an ancestor, I think, because earlier, even though I'd been feeling grief so closely and lost so closely and intimately and was always thinking about it, I was still sort of afraid of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mean, I think I've always understood that loss is a process and it never leaves you, but I don't know if when I was 13 or 14 or 15 or even 21 really thought of my mom as this dynamic person, even after her passing. And I suppose calling her an ancestor helps me think of her as someone who I can still access or think about with more depth, who, you know, for um, various holidays that my family celebrates, I can burn incense for her and still, in a way, provide for her by burning, you know, tissue paper clothes or money or or something like that. And I think it was sometime in my mid-20s when I started partaking in these traditions myself and feeling, you know, less sheepish about doing it and kind of owning it a little bit more as my own. Um,
2: you know, like, you know, you've come to these parties before. Parties like Lunar New Year celebrations at our house. I still pictures of that meal on my phone. But I distinctly remember in your backyard burning the tissue paper clothes and the the, the josh money?
3: The Josh money and then burning the incense too.
2: Yeah and that being like in remembrance like you're giving something to the ancestors. Yeah
3: in honor of my mom but also just anybody who is no longer with us too and yeah I think that question about ancestor and the use of that word is so interesting because I'm not sure it was even that intentional of a distinction, but in retrospect, I see it as something that was quite spiritual and also, I think, a result of just being a little bit more mature and also being okay with really acknowledging that, for me, at least, when I lose someone, when someone passes, you're always reassessing your relationship to them throughout every single life stage. Like, you know... um, I'm thinking about having kids now and I'm thinking about what it means to be a mother and thinking about what my mother would have told me about it. You know, it just your relationship always alters
2: You say this thing about your mother's passing where you're like, I hate her death for how it knocked my family down, but I hate how I believe I needed it to become go- to become who I am. Yeah. Was that through the process of writing this? like something that you slowly realized
3: I think I've always felt after my mom's passing that her death made me harder you know it made me tougher Um, it made me the person who I am today it made me scrappier so independent and that line was really hard to write because I think I felt and to an extent now feel a little bit of shame for it you know It's hard because no one ever wants to say, like, yeah, this death, I benefited from it. And I don't think I benefited from it in this Mm -hmm. positive way. But getting through a loss, you have to just dig so, so, so deeply within yourself to get through it. Um, And as a teenager, losing a formative figure like your mother, um, as a 13, 14-year-old, you have to figure out how to parent yourself in so many ways.
2: I'm figuring out who I am, like, post my grandmother as, like, a yeah. like a, as an adult. And I'm remembering those life skills that she taught me.
3: Right. When, when you lose someone so formative to you, in a way, you have to figure out how to absorb their best qualities that you needed and be that for yourself
2: or other people. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I recently vacuumed on a Sunday, like, the holy day, and I knew my grandmother would have been mad at me. <laughs> It's impossible to wrap one's head around loss. It's an empty chair of fuzzy memory from a photograph, a holiday tradition to at least keep their spirit alive. But it's always evolving, no matter how much or how little time has passed. And what Kat's book taught me is that the only real lesson of it all is one of resilience.
3: So I grew up in Connecticut, which, you know, had Hartford, the insurance capital of the world, My mom worked at the Traveler's Building, which famously in the mid-90s had a a bunch of peregrine falcons roosting on its tower in Hartford. And it was such a big deal. I remember just, you know, my mom talking about it. Newspapers were covering it. It It was huge because they were having chicks and these beautiful birds were thought to, you know, really not make it. And it was so fascinating to me just thinking about this imagery of these beautifully wild and strong and ferocious birds and them sort of existing upon this metal and glass and these gleaming skyscrapers and how much work it took to get them to survive. And thinking about my family in this context of our ability to resist our surroundings at all costs, while also becoming a part of it, too. I think that's a dynamic that a lot of people in America can relate
2: to. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: This episode was produced by me, along with Jasmine Aguilera, Noor Bouzidi, and Skylar Swenson. Edited by the fabulous Kelly Prime. Our executive producers are Hannah Rosen and Ashar Kerwa, mixed by Alex Higgins. We are a product of New York Magazine. Subscribe today to support all their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm B.A. Parker. Thanks for listening.
0: Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter's finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West.